Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Lust in Lace, a paranormal erotic anthology written by Devi Ann Sevi, Byron Kane, and Ina Morada. Dark erotica infused with rich decadence. Set your taste buds a tingle with this trio of luscious supernatural tales featuring ghosts and goddesses, vampires and werewolves. In the fifth volume of the Lust series, Valentine's Day is at its most sinfully delicious when leavened with a touch of darkness, dusted with a bittersweet dash of cocoa, and infused with rich decadence. In Devi and Sevi's Fur and Fury, Liz is the Pax Enforcer, and Benton is a professional bounty hunter. They've been ordered to retrieve a couple of runaways by Valentine's Day. Trouble is, Liz's wolf may think he's delicious, but her human side is still pissed that Benton ran out on her a year ago. Hell hath no fury like a female shifter near the full moon. A couple of days together will either give them time to overcome their differences or kill each other. In Byron Kane's Sir McRath Thrashes His Valentine, McRath is a centuries-old vampire returning home after decades of absence. It is 1854 in steampunk London, and Her Majesty has appointed McRath her chastiser of loose morals. Phoebe Hayward is a lady of good breeding, but quite a handful. Despite discovering the man ordered to discipline her is actually a vampire, she can't help falling in love. McRath will ensure she is well punished and dominated in all ways as befits his naughty valentine. In Ina Morada's The Chocolatier, Demon of Hearts and Souls, it's 1920s post-war London, and Edward is a chocolatier tormented by dreams of possessing Ix Cacao, the chocolate goddess. When a delicious new patron offers his darkest wish, he is delighted to allow Lilith to teach him all the sexy ways to get it. But fulfilling his desires come at a price. What and who does he have to sacrifice to get the love and lust of his life? And what will happen if he does? And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Lust in Lace. The Chocolatier, Demon of Hearts and Souls, by Ina Morata. Chapter 1 The light outside the shop doorway flickered and wavered in the cold darkness, mirroring the flame of the gas lamp in the shop near the counter. One by one, Edward placed his chocolates in the boxes he'd prepared, folding the tissue over the tops before easing on the lid. Stacks of full boxes waited under the counter. More were placed on color-coded shelves behind him, pink for the soft, fruity centers, green for the hard ones. He caressed each box. As he finished filling it up, he poured his heart and soul into each one. It was a pity that the few loyal customers he had didn't understand that. Not really. It was a pity that people didn't have more money nowadays but the war had fucked up everything, including his love life. He hadn't been a white feather boy, hadn't deliberately refused to go and fight alongside all the young men whose country needed them, 
How did anyone know what it felt like to be rejected while all the others were claiming their uniforms? Why had no one put his leg right? The girls didn't understand. They wanted a man who could take them dancing, bang them until dawn, and go off to die for his country. They wanted a man whose photo they could be proud of. He never got past the dancing from 1914 onwards. The noises had already begun in the back room. He'd hoped the orgy would remain contained there so that he could concentrate on preparing the shop for Monday morning. The familiar squirm of disgust slithered up his spine, a bitter pang of jealousy disappearing downwards into the front of his trousers. He focused hard on the cleared and clean trays under the glass counter, filling each one with his handmade creations. Chocolate, dark and seductive to the taste buds, or smooth and milky with drizzles of pure white chocolate, perfectly rounded into exquisite mounds. He tried hard not to handle them, held back the temptation to play with his creations as the spanking began in the other room. The laughs rang out, as did the sound of palm on flesh. Which one of them had got hold of the serving maid this time? He could tell it was her by the squeals and the encouraging words, Oh, sir, how could you? Why would you want to spank my arse when you can slap my pussy? Oh, that's more like it, sir. And so on. He knew that it already meant every patron had been served. Their hot chocolates were on the table, cocks laid bare in readiness. Edward tried not to think of the rampant debauchery only a few feet away. The last time this had happened, and he tried to creep in to fetch some extra boxes from the store cupboard, always difficult when his legs scraped along behind him, he'd found the patrons reclining on the floor with their 350-year-old bodies naked in a circle. Each held his cup of hot chocolate in his hand, into which he was dunking his cock. Dailies, the almost naked serving maid, together with the two mistresses of the Duke of, knelt inside the circle, tasting each slathered shaft to determine the best one. Their tasting was a hands-on experience, both for their subject and for themselves. Invariably, fingers wandered to tender buds before plunging inside to create a heady, scented cocktail of chocolate and female juices, a thumb up their little pucker for good measure. A few of the patrons had become rather impatient in waiting for their turn and had sucked each other in between the tastings, throwing themselves into this little extra, so much that while Edward was rummaging for boxes, and massaging the top of his hip with the heel of his hand, the game had changed to how many cum shots Dialise could catch in her pinafore. Each time she bent to catch the spunk as it flew through the air, her pink rounded bottom cheeks had been left prey to the salacious mouth of the Duke's two mistresses. Those ladies flicked at her clit and her anus with such expert tongues that some of the patrons couldn't help wanting to join in too. The Duke, of course, granted permission. He gave it to anyone who gave him a hole to pump half a dozen times. His concentration had been taken up by trying to fuck his cock to a length whereby he could put his feet up on one of the tables and bend his rather malleable self to lick his own dripping slit. It had become quite an obsession. By the time Edward had been ready to leave the room, armed with boxes and a couple of extra trays of chocolates, and hoping no ghostly bodies would get in the way, he hated the idea of putting his foot right through anyone, the floor had been a mass of writhing figures 
slathered in hot chocolate and other juices. As he tried to sneak out, one of the patrons shouted, Why don't you show us what you're made of, little Ed? Dilees had wiggled out from under the pile of nakedness and bent over in front of him, her pussy glistening. Her two holes winked at him, glimmering with enticing wetness. The display had stirred the contents of his trousers, and he had to think about work to calm his cock. Unfortunately, images of melted chocolate, of stuffing little holes with his special filling, did not help. Ain't got such a little head, have you, sweetie? I've seen you rubbing it up, that painting of yours. Done it more and more in the last few years. Why don't you rub it up against something worth having for once? I can take it. Above the shouts of, Because you're a ghost, you silly moo, the Duke proclaimed. She can, you know, three at a time. She's good at her fucking job. And her perfected mock polite voice, Dilees replied, Nice to see you know what job I'm good at, your grace, peering at him through open thighs. Edward had shaken his head and left the room to jeers of, Now don't go sending your customers away with your runny feeling in their chocolates. He hadn't been sure if his hot face was due more to the throbbing arousal he tried to ignore or the sheer embarrassment caused by their frequent mockery. No, he wasn't going to walk in on them in full swing again. If he'd known the ghosts in the walls were going to cause such chaos, maybe he'd never have kept on the premises after his father died. He could have sold the shop before the Great War. It was well-situated just off St. James Square. Many a tailor or shoe fitter clamored for a spot like this. It wouldn't be possible to sell the shop now. That was for certain. Too many post-war financial insecurities, even after seven years. Besides, his family had been adamant it should always remain true to its original purpose to serve its patrons chocolate of the best, most desirable quality. Its purpose has always been to serve our customer with decadence, and that is how it will bloody well stay. Do you understand, boy? The echoing memory of his father's words disappeared into the walls. Of course he'd understood. The whole family almost went under when the bigger chocolate houses right on St. James Square grew in popularity. With Ixacaco House facing into a side alley, the family shop never stood a real chance against them. One had to know of its existence, or it was easy to walk right past. Even the police rarely bothered to patrol down the narrow street. But, for some reason, loyal customers had remained, even after their death. The number of times he wished there had never been any loyalty in the late 17th century had his father and grandfather and other countless generations of relatives had to endure this kind of nonsense from the Duke and his friends. Maybe they'd never been able to see the ghostly irritants or feel them. Sometimes when the mistresses wanted to be cheeky, he wished he couldn't feel them either. How did they manage to do that? Get a rise out of him like that. No one had ever spoken to him about the ghosts, but he'd always known they were there. They used to speak to him when he was small. The ghosts would tell him stories about Ixacaco, goddess of chocolate, and of their chocolate house in its heyday, how the prince himself used to frequent the best one in the whole of London. They used to make him so excited about the importance of owning this establishment even though chocolate houses had long ceased to exist. He spent years dreaming about the prospect of returning the place to its chocolatey roots. Strangely enough, 
chocolates had become an indulgence favored by the upper classes during his father's ownership. His father, a craftsman first, but ever a businessman, had perfected the art and drawn in the custom. Somehow, Edward managed to keep the place running through the Great War, as long as his customers' ears hadn't been tainted with talk of the white feather, they returned for more. Even in these difficult financial times, and as hard as it was to attract custom, a little bit of indulgence and decadence was still important. And his chocolates were an indulgence, not just that perfectly smooth chocolate that ran off the end of the spoon and into his waiting mouth at the end of every session, but the ones that held nuts or others. A renewed wave of lusty laughter from the back room coincided with thoughts of luscious delights filled with soft, fruity centers. That kind of thinking wasn't helping. He knocked the heel of his hand against the hardness in his trousers, as if to warn it to behave, while he continued to set out his beautiful temptations on the trays under the counter. Raucous laughter in the back room turned into the rapid rhythm of male grunts and responsive moans and shrieks feminine and masculine. A gruff male voice growled, Duke, you're going to fuck my lungs if you go any deeper. Edward clasped his hands to his face and shook his head at the panting response. What's the matter? Can't you take it, Harry? Archie, put that girl down and come here. Show Harry how to keep a Duke happy. The ghosts hadn't been as debauched as this when he'd first taken over. For a few months, all they'd done was sit in the walls, drinking their ancient hot chocolate from their antique cups in a very civilized fashion. Every so often, however, one would slide into the walls of the privy to watch him pee. They had never behaved this way when his father was still alive. It had shocked him at first and embarrassed him profoundly. At least, he thought it had, especially when Dylees was the one to surprise him and eye his cock as he held it between his finger and thumb waiting to let himself go. Put your finger in the stream, she'd said one day, and he turned to protest, soaking his shoe. She laughed. That'll teach you, sweetie. Do as we tell you. Go on, show me. Feeling his face and neck burning, he jabbed a finger into the stream, shocked by how hot it was, and even more so that he wasn't disgusted by doing it. Indeed, over the course of a few weeks, he'd learned to control his stream and could remain with his finger in it a lot longer. One day, Dylees had suddenly squatted there in the wall, lifted up all her garments to just under her chin, allowing him a close-up, full view of her entire and very open nakedness, and let loose her own stream. His cock had taken no time at all to expand at the sight of it, and he found himself no longer peeing, but stroking to fulfill his excitement instead. She let out a tinkling laugh, You're going to find pleasure in all sorts of things, sweetie, just as long as you keep your mind open. You're very receptive. He hadn't known what to say in reply. Likewise, he'd not known what to say to the ring of ghosts that had surrounded his bed one night a few months earlier, as he'd tossed and turned, trying to find relief from the thoughts of Felicity, the young woman with the stockings that wrinkled at her thin ankles. She wore a handmade flower in a hat had clearly been her mother's at one time, when she told him last September that she'd been saving to buy a small box of chocolates for her mother's birthday, he had thrown in an extra couple just for her. Then, when she'd returned a few days later to thank him, 
he'd been so taken with her sadness and her vulnerability that he had been filled with a strange fuzziness which transferred its way into his trousers, and he'd wanted to lay her on his tiny bed and peel her apart, fold by fold. He wanted to know the sadness within her. Was it like his own? He wanted to touch her, feel her melt in his arms, know what she was like deep inside, but he couldn't speak his thoughts. He couldn't even open the door for her because his cock would have led the way and he was convinced she'd have fetched a policeman. All he could do was give her a box of his sweetest milk chocolates with soft centers saying, these are for you, just for you, a token of my... He'd not finished. She'd blushed, dipped her head in a thank you and rushed from the shop only turning back to half whisper, Mother might want some more chocolates, I'll check. And she'd given you nothing in return. They never do, do they, my young Edward? The Duke had clapped a mock consoling arm around his shoulder that same night while he'd been tossing in his bed. You need teaching, my boy. Maybe she saw him coming, an old patron with a bulbous nose named Peter laughed at his own joke. The duke ignored the dribbling old debaucher who had dragged one of the duke's mistresses to sit on his lap, bouncing her on his thick, fat cock. In the meantime, you need to ease that problem of yours. You know how to do that, I suppose. Harry, show him. Harry, hot chocolate to his ghostly lips, used the other hand to undo the front of his own trousers. Edward had protested, I know what to do, thank you. Dilys had protested on his behalf, too, but it had been pointless. Once the ghost decided there was sex to be had in some form or another, there was no stopping them. At a nod from the Duke, a ring of spectral indulgers of his ancestors' chocolate whipped out their cocks and stroked them to hardness so that no matter where Edward looked, there was a stiff rod being pumped. What else could he do but pull down his pajama bottoms to his knees and join in? One by one, the patrons had fired their loads into their cups. Watching them made him so utterly desperate to fuck Felicity that he had grabbed his underpants off the floor and encased his thrusting cock in the fabric, imagining its softness to be her shy little cunt. When he'd groaned his cum into the makeshift hole, he did so to a round of applause. You're a bad influence on me, he gasped an embarrassed half-grin riddling his face and overwhelming his self-loathing. Maybe you'll turn out to be a bad influence on us one day, responded the Duke, although I'm not entirely sure that's possible. The circle of ghosts had laughed, and that had been the first time Edward had sensed that these ghosts really might have trouble written all over them. He'd been right, even then. The thwack of the whip now whistled amongst the raucousness as shouts of, up his eyes, up his nose, grew even louder. Edward opened the door to take a breath of the acrid air. His shop squatted under his pinpoint of light amid the otherwise Stygian black of the little side street. Even breathing in the smog that often half-choked those who had fallen prey to mustard gas was less stifling than the dense stench of ectoplasmic pleasure oozing through the gap under the door. How did they still smell of sex? The sign creaked above his head, and he looked up and smiled, 
his heart swelled, spreading heat through his body and leaving a sudden throb of his own pulsating inside his trousers. The curvaceous form, Ixcacao, stared into the grimness of the late January night, her naked chocolate form wrapped in a satin sheet, her darkness capturing his heart as it did every time he looked at her image. He was enthralled by his own handiwork, pouring everything of him into it in substitution for the lack of satisfaction he'd found elsewhere. He'd wanted to be a hero once, wanted to be one of the young men who signed their names in lines at the theater without knowing what the stunning actress at the front had called them up for. Was that right? To entrap a man? To make him die for love of his country? Why couldn't he have been entrapped like that? Those men were heroes. Everyone thought so at first. Then people mourned. They cared instead. Cared that they never came back. He wasn't a hero. No one cared. Desire for Ix Cacao filled him. He needed to see her, whether or not the ghosts were in a state of kinky disarray. Breath rasping with the shock of the smoggy night, he locked his shop door, turned off the lamp, and limped across to the back room as fast as he was able. There, he stopped. He almost knocked on his own door. Instead, puffing up his chest, holding himself tall, he made ready to enter the den of iniquity and take whatever verbal battering lay in wait. As it happened, most of the ancient patrons had already slid their ghostly, naked, whip-streaked bottoms back into the walls. Only the duke's two mistresses remained, locked together on the floor, legs entwined. One leaned back, enjoying the tug of moist lips at her nipple. The ladies ground their pussies into each other, blissfully unaware that the orgy was over. Everyone left them to it. They usually did trying to take as little notice as possible of the aftermath of his ghostly residence shenanigans, he headed past his chocolate-making area. He grimaced. It would all need cleaning down again now. Pulling back the curtain near the back of his room, he flopped onto the bed to rest his hip for a moment. At the foot of his narrow bed waited the life-size painting of Ixcacao. For years, while his father was alive, Edward kept the painting hidden behind a tapestry of a chivalrous knight and his maiden. He'd prepared for the creation of his goddess, using books on mythology that he managed to lay hands on. He'd even pulled a few strings with clients of his father to gain access to their private libraries. The day they'd buried his mother, a spectacularly rainy June day in 1912. He'd painted the goddess on the wall, and every day since, He'd loved her with every bone in his body. He kissed her now, just as always, beginning at the lips and trailing kisses down her cold, still painted body, imagining he could take her soft breast in his mouth and linger there a while as he explored her smooth curve, the wrinkling around her nipple, the hard peak that his tongue created at her tip. His trail ran down her ribs and into her navel, where he paid a great deal of homage conjuring up an image of how she would moan at his tongue inside her little dip. It made his body tingle, his heart beat faster. His balls grew heavy with a need to make love to her, to let her know how he ached for her. He didn't notice the small audience that slipped in along the top of the curtain and hovered there. He was too busy running his lips over her mons and touching the tip of his tongue between her legs, enthralled by her imaginary nub 
that he took between his lips and sucked gently. He had been convinced for years that his goddess opened her legs to his mouth just a little, and he longed for the day she would open wide so that he could line her folds with his love and enter to worship her fully. He was so involved in hopeful lapping that the jeers came as a shock, and he banged his front teeth on the wall as the words rang out, When will you get yourself a real fuckhead? You're hopeless. We don't get anything from you. We taught you, didn't we? We know exactly what you enjoy. You name the shop after the most sexy goddess the world has ever seen. You paint her, you fantasize about her, and we've seen you asleep, so we know. But all we get from you is funk and chocolate. Edward scowled, his face reddening. The duke ignored his reaction and continued. An unfulfilled desire. How can we live off that? We need someone to capture your heart, to capture your soul, to set you alight. Edward clambered over the bed and buried himself in his blanket, just as he used to as a child, when his father had been disappointed by his efforts at school. At 14, his father had berated him. An unfulfilled education? How can we live off that? We need something that captures your heart, your soul, something that will make you a man. That's what was always missing. He eyed the ghosts with a look that veered towards hatred. I never asked you to stay. Gasps and mock crying rattled around the walls. But surely you don't expect us to leave. How could you be so cruel? If you could just have the sex bit, we'd be happy. You can't be in love with that picture for the rest of your life. It's not natural. Another voice bellowed out from further away. Or much fun. Just bugger off, will you? Edward buried his head under the pillow to the sound off. There once was a big man called Ed who wanted to fuck in his bed. He never got laid. He'd have had to have paid. So we wanked in his blanket instead. Let me do that again. There once was a big man called Ed who wanted to fuck in his bed. He never got laid. He'd have had to have paid. So we wanked in his blanket instead. He shut his eyes and put his fingers in his ears. His cock still semi-hard, rubbed against the mattress, but there wasn't much he wanted to do about that right now, not with them jeering in his ear. He didn't want them to leave, not really. It was their home as much as his, but he wished more than anything that there was a way of keeping them contented and quiet. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Lust in Lace. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.